as we continue our pulpit series on the book of Genesis, and especially with Chinese New Year coming round the corner, I'm not sure about you, but pineapple tarts, bakwa, and prawn crackers are my three most favorite Chinese New Year snacks. That's it, I'm going to get fat soon. Better go on some slimming program after Chinese New Year. But as Chinese New Year is around the corner, I'm sure many of us, you and me here, are preparing, are busy preparing to host our immediate family members, friends, and relatives, right, in the preparation. And just like Christmas, this festive season is filled with gorging ourselves with food. However, instead of turkey and ham, we have multiple rounds of steamboats and a wide variety of snacks in round containers with a red cover on top of it. Well, to me, I find the hardest snacks to say no is when a person tells me that the snacks are homemade. Wow, oh, they must give face, they must try, right? You know, homemade, definitely need to uh, take one piece at least. Right? So beside the sumptuous food that you are going to, you are preparing to provide to the guests, can I just ask how else do you prepare your house for Chinese New Year? Well, you might do some spring cleaning, right? Get rid of some old furniture and items in your home. Maybe you put up some Chinese New Year decorations to increase the atmosphere. But unfortunately, we can only go visiting in groups of five. Well, this is great news for some of us who like a more intimate setting. But for others, it means we have to host multiple times as we have many rounds of guests coming to visit our homes. If you have a large, big family like my wife, family, you know, huge family of over 100 people, maybe multiple rounds of five packs. Well, some of us find hosting tiring. Demonstrating hospitality is actually a biblical value. Right? It's a biblical virtue. And allow me to read from the passage that is for us today, which is from Genesis chapter 18, verse 1 to 21. Let me read a portion of it. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of memory. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favour in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest under the tree. Or I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah, and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man, who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts to hear His wonderful and amazing, gracious word. So, Almighty God, as we hear your word, open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirit to you, so that we may be doers of your word and not just hearers of your word. So, Lord, speak to us in a clear manner. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here's a picture of an artist depicting this scene in the Bible where Abraham played host to the three visitors. This picture up. Yes, this wonderful, beautiful picture. And in this picture, you can see a big tree 
where a meal which consists of bread was given to the three visitors by Abraham. And Sarah looked on from the doorway. Now it's on the left, you can see that picture. Well, this picture is an unknown artist, but this picture, this mosaic can be found in one of the basilica. But from this picture, allow me to briefly explain hospitality during the ancient Eastern world. It's a bit different, or I would say very different from today's concept. Basically, there are two groups of people, the traveller and the sojourner. Today, we call the traveller a tourist and the sojourner a PR, permanent resident. Well, a sojourner is also a stranger, a foreigner, an alien, and is used when a person does not belong to a particular group or community. Well, if an, it's for example like a PR that settles in Singapore, initially this person or this family will not know the Singapore culture, will not know how to order our kopi si kosong, right? kopi ping or tetari, because he or she or the family is unfamiliar and does not belong to our community. Well, despite the sojourner or the foreigner or the PR in this case not belonging to the community, Israel law actually protects this foreigner. Leviticus 19.33-34 says, when, Israel, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall, do him, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat a stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as yourselves, as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So for a PR, there is a law in Israel that protects them. Whereas the tourists, right, a traveller passing through, is, does not have a law to protect them. Instead, they are subjected to the informal customs of hospitality. In our case, as I explained earlier, the travellers, the visitors coming through Abraham's house are like visitors. In the next picture, if I can bring up the next picture with the map, this wonderful picture where you can see where Bethlehem is and down south of Bethlehem is Hebron. Slightly north in between Bethlehem and Hebron is where memory is. You know the big tree, the big oak that we talk about, right? Um, but unfortunately, scholars are unsure exactly where this exact location is. It's probably a rough location, but I tend to agree with the scholars that it's somewhere around there in between Bethlehem and Hebron because if you can see in this picture, which is behind me, that area around there is brown, right? It's not green. Right? Brown means hot, humid, no vegetation, right? It looks something, something like this. You know, in 2018, I had the privilege to go and lead a small group of uh, church members to Israel. And we were in this tourist attraction called Genesis Land. Basically, it's an area where they try to replicate where Abraham stayed with the tents and the camels and, and things like that. It's a tourist attraction. You know, when the borders are open, the best way to understand the geography and the humid and the temperature is to go there yourself. Right? That's the best way to do so. Um, but as you can see, it is uninhabitable. Uh. <laughs> I mean, that's the best way to describe it. Uninhabitable because it's so dry. It's so hard to survive there. So if, imagine if you and me, we have to travel through these harsh conditions, harsh environment without any animals or a 4 by 4 vehicle that you can store your necessities in this convenient vehicle or aircon, you turn on the engine, you know, blast the aircon, you can feel the, the cool air instead of walking the ground and experience this hot heat. Well, if you want to survive this harsh environment, we need to learn from um, my 
during my pastime, I just watched this TV series called Man vs. Wild. If you know who the host of Man vs. Wild is, Bear Grylls. Right? The Bear Grylls top tip right, or advice given when faced with such extreme conditions is weather can kill you so fast, the priority of survival is getting protection from the extreme weather. And that makes quite common sense, right? But he gave a top tip, and I'm going to research on, on this. His top tip to survive is using this acronym called PRWF. Please remember what's first. Well, which P stands for protection, R is rescue, followed by water and food. So PRWF, which means assess the immediate threats and how you can protect yourself from them. Start thinking of how you're going to get rescued. Find some water along the way and then start turning over locks in search of maggots for your food. Well, in these harsh conditions, I'm sure it's difficult to find food, let alone water for survival. And these three visitors traveling through this barren land, right, in search for water for some relief, will be greatly pleased that Abraham welcomed them with great hospitality. Well, he ran forward, right, meet them and offered them a meal. To some extent, we might see, we might find his hospitality exaggerated, right, in Chinese, like kua zhang. Right? Because he bowed to the ground to welcome him. This is quite exaggerated as I was reading the passage. But for the people, I hope you understand, for people living in the ancient world, this was a norm, a social norm for them. Well, today if a friend or a relative come and visit you at your house, maybe the first thing you might do is offer the person a drink, right? You want water, you want a soft drink, you want, can, I, can I give you a drink when the person comes into our house? which is our social norms uh, too in our today's context. So not only bowing down, but the host is also responsible to wash the guest's feet. Well, as the guest is traveling through this harsh environment, I'm sure the feet were probably filthy from the sand and the mud. But they didn't have covered shoes or army boots uh, given to them uh, as credits. Right? They had very open shoes because they were probably poor or unable to afford. But from the New Testament, we can understand a little bit more about the washing of feet because Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Jesus washed the disciples in the New Testament. And we know that it's usually the duty of a servant who will clean the guest's feet. Here, Abraham offered himself as a servant to the visitors to wash or, or to serve them. Well, if you can remember, again, there's another episode in the New Testament where Jesus' feet was washed by tears. This is found in Luke 7, 36-47. Jesus was being hosted by Simon the Pharisee, or Jesus was reclining at the table. The Bible recorded that a woman, that a woman who lived a sinful life came to the house with an alabaster jar of perfume. She used her tears as water to wipe Jesus' feet, wipe his feet with her hair and poured perfume on them. Well, Simon the Pharisee, who is the host, saw this act and judged the woman, calling her a sinner. But Jesus took this opportunity like a parent to a child and turned this into a teaching session where he used Simon's insult as an example of the failure to understand the nature of sin and forgiveness. And I'm sure we can talk more about the nature of sin and forgiveness another time. But it was in this scene that we can understand more about the host's duty towards a guest and a traveller. Because Jesus said this to Simon, Jesus pointed out to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but from the time I entered, this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Isn't that wonderful? And we sort of understand a little bit more of the importance of duty of hospitality in the ancient time. So much different from ours now. So much different, you know. The, the host has so much more responsibility. Well, how about a meal, right? Of course, as a host, you must give a meal as what Abraham did. How about a meal? Well, the guest was expected to accept what the host offered. Well, this means there's not such thing as potluck, right? Everybody bring their own, like today or that, and then we have a meal. The host is expected to offer a meal to the guest. Well, that means that the guest also must eat whatever that is offered. You'll be seen rude from either party if the host didn't offer a meal or a guest refusal to eat. Well, we see that some examples from Judges 8, 4, 4 to 17, the man of uh, Sukkoth and Penuel refused to feed Gideon and his men. Well, granted, Gideon's response was a bit, was a violent overreaction because he wanted to kill them all. Yet their refusal to feed a traveler was a severe violation of an Eastern custom of hospitality. So as we see, food was provided and both sides must uh, receive it. You know, one give, one receive. But not just food. Another aspect of it was protection. Well, protection because in the, in the story of Lord, Lord offered his virgin daughters to an angry mob rather than to betray the guests who had come who have come under the shelter of his roof. This is in Genesis 19. Last but not least, the sharing of food together, you know, the eating of food as as a meal together shows a token of friendship in the form of covenantal commitment. Well, unfortunately, because it is also a covenantal commitment, one of the most despicable acts in the ancient world was to eat with someone and then betray them. Well, if you can remember again, it is the, after the Last Supper. After Jesus had the Last Supper with disciples, Judas went to betray him, sell him out. That was seen as a despicable act because both of them had a meal together. So it's, you can see, the, I took a long time to explain to you the importance and the severity of hospitality in the ancient world. And this entire code of hospitality was so strong that it invoked a warning that can be found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. It says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. It's a warning given to hospitality. So here we see Abraham's hospitality towards the visitors as a ministry to the Lord, which is my first point. As he go about his duties, to perform his, as a host, a duty as a host, he was actually ministering to the Lord. And to minister to others well, in, in our today's context, is actually equivalent to ministering to Jesus. Right? Taken from the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the, of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. 
So Abraham, while he was ministering to the Lord, you must remember here that he is a 99-year-old man and a wealthy person. He could have easily entrusted this task of hosting, of performing the duty as host to his chief steward, right? Chief helper, chief mate there, or one of his more than 300 servants. But instead, as host, he decided to minister to the Lord personally. He also ministered immediately, right? From scripture just now, we read that he ran to meet the visitors. He was quick to tell Sarah. He ran to get the tender calf and the young man hurried to prepare the meat. Well, keep in mind that this is an old man running around, right? In the, and it was hot during that time and, and in the heat of the day. And Abraham only stood still after serving his guests. It was also immediate because he was probably under sitting under the tree uh, as t- taking a, sh- uh, a rest, a break, a siesta in the afternoon heat. But on seeing the visitors, he immediately got up and attended to them. Well, Abraham not just did it immediately, not just did it personally, but he did it generously. Bible passage tells us that Sarah baked bread for a fine meal. Right? It just shows how leverous or, or big, such a big meal, and the meat was tender and good, which means the calf chosen was of the best quality. Not just that, he, Abraham served with humility. Well, he bowed to his guests, as I mentioned just now. He called himself a servant and called the feast only a morsel of bread, saying uh, something small, uh, but actually it's a big meal. Uh. Simple, uh, it just comes for a simple meal, but actually, or well, seafood, uh, you know, big meal. And he served the three visitors. After serving the visitors, he just stood near to be available. Right? Just like a servant, you know, after serving the meal, stood aside and to be available when called when, when he is only needed to. Last but not least, he served the Lord cooperatively, which means together with others. He didn't, did, he didn't do it alone. He brought others along to serve the Lord. Well, we have Sarah, right? Baked the bread, a young man dressed the meat. And I'm sure other servants brought the butter, the milk, the water uh, along to the three visitors. So this quote that I found online by evangelist D.L. Moody, who said, I would rather put 10 men to work than do the work of 10 men. And some of you might hear it before, but this doesn't mean we go and arrow people. You know, a pastor do, a cell leader do, somebody else do, but just not me. But instead, we should do together as a body of Christ. And in this day of convenient hotels, Airbnbs, we rarely really think about what it means to entertain strangers, right? If you are honest with one another, especially in the past two years where there is COVID, tend to stay away from people. But hospitality is actually an essential part of Christian ministry. In fact, given to hospitality is one of the requirements for leadership in the church. And as we do so, as we host people, as we be hospitable, generous, humility, as we serve others, we are actually serving Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we do so, we promote and spread God's beloved and gracious truth. So let's move on to the next lesson other than hospitality. And and let me read to you verse 9 from Genesis chapter 18. After a hearty meal, the visitors said to Abraham, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in a tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, 
shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did. Well, the question if you're wondering, right, why Sarah laughed? But basically, this question simply leads into a more important statement, which is found in verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, this rhetorical question in chapter 18, verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord, really does not present us with a promise to claim. It's not something that we can use it, you know, like a promise, but an attribute to embrace, a faith to aspire to, and a hope to sustain us. Well, what do I mean by that? So when we face difficult circumstances, I'm sure you and I, we face probably many difficult situations. We cannot claim this verse that God will change our circumstance. Well, He can. I'm sure He can. He's capable of doing so. But perhaps the hard thing that He will do is to help us accept our circumstances and grow through them. Now, let me give you an example with Joni. But before that, I want to explain my second point, which is Abraham remained faithful when Sarah was faithless. Well, Sarah laughed, right? Whereas Abraham stood firm and remembered that God has promised him a son. And because of Abraham's faithfulness to the Lord, he was able to be used as a channel to, of blessing to his wife and eventually to his family. In this example, is there anything too hard for the Lord? This example is by a person, a lady named Joni. In 1967, she took a dive that changed her life forever. She was paralyzed, her body was broken. And that brought a lot of bitterness and denial to her life. As she began to confront her paralysis, she was encouraged by some friends to have the faith that God could miraculously heal her. Right? After all, nothing is too difficult or too hard for God. As she explored this faith, she struggled with the difference between faith that God could heal her and whether God would heal her. Right? She, knew, she knew that God could heal her, but she struggled whether God would heal her. Well, if you have told Joni back then, right, that from that point of brokenness, from that point where she suffered, 30 years later in the future, she would be an internationally known mouth artist, author of more than 25 books, an inspirational speaker whose Radio broadcast was aired at some 800 over stations daily. She will probably tell you and say that she may have considered that to be a much more difficult accomplishment for God than healing her paralysis. Well, not only that, right? She had albums, videotapes, and founded a ministry to and for the disabled that put her as an international spokesperson. And she will again say, it's easier for God to heal her than for her accomplishments of what she has done. But then, 
But then friends and family, we must be really be cautious that as we accept by faith that nothing is too hard for God, we know that nothing is too hard for God. We do not begin to dictate to Him which hard thing He must do. Basically telling Him how to do His job. Well, he tends to have things in mind that really goes far beyond our own understanding, our own things that we, we ask for and even think about. So let us not put God in a box and accept that some things in our lives are too hard for Him. It's never too hard for Him, but it's hard for us to change our minds, to change our hearts. So may we learn from Abraham to be faithful when others around us, and sometimes even our own inner voice, tells us to be faithless. Now my third and last point in this short passage in Genesis is Abraham interceded for a lost world. Now he belonged to a select company of people known as intercessors, right? People like other people like Moses, Samuel, Jeremiah, the apostles, and even our Lord himself. In fact, our Lord's ministry in heaven, today in heaven is a ministry of intercession. So family and friends, it's not enough for us to be a blessing to the Lord, like just like, you know, ministry to the Lord, ministry to people around us, but it's also important for us to seek to win the lost and bring them, bring them sinners to our Lord Saviour. Well, Charles Spurgeon said this, if they, the lost person, lost sinners, sorry, will not hear you speak, but they cannot prevent your praying, right? Will they jest at your exhortations? They cannot disturb you at your prayers. Are they far away so that you cannot reach them? Your prayers can reach them. Have they declared that they will never listen to you again or see your face? Never mind. God has a voice which they must hear. Speak to Him and He will make, you f- make them feel. Though they now treat you despitefully, rendering evil for your good, follow them with your prayers. Never let them perish for lack of your supplications. In other words, your prayers are important for your friends, your families who do not know our Lord Jesus yet. So pray for them. Pray for them. And the story of Abraham continues where the Lord and two angels left Abraham's house and started towards Sodom. But the Lord lingered behind while the angels went on. And if you have noticed as I was reading the passage to you, Abraham was busy running around, right? Preparing the bread, the meat. But now in the second half of the passage, he stood still before the Lord and interceded for Lord and the people in Sodom. Well, as an intercessor, I'm sure Abraham knew the Lord personally. In fact, God said to Abraham, I know him, which really means I have chosen him and he is my intimate friend. Well, Abraham probably knew more about Sodom's future than the Caesars themselves. So therefore, he was arguing his case. He was pleading for them. But as Abraham was pleading for them in prayer, seeking the Lord, asking for for God not to destroy Sodom, it was not based on the mercy of God, but actually on the justice of God. Well, what do you mean by that? He said to God, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's what Abraham said to the Lord, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? In other words, what Abraham was saying is that a just and holy God could not destroy righteous believers together with the wicked believers, or wicked unbelievers, sorry. 
a just and holy God could not destroy righteous believers with wicked unbelievers. So as Christians, as we, we learn from Abraham, right, this man of faith to intercede for the lost, we need to draw near to the, to the Lord, intercede for the lost by leaning on the justice of God. It may be for your parents, maybe for your loved ones, friends, someone who do not know our Lord Jesus personally. I ask that as we prepare our house for Chinese New Year, may we have the chance or may we um, have the chance to talk to them. But before doing so, may we pray for them, name them in our hearts, name them in our quiet time. You know, plead before the Lord for them, argue our case. You know, sometimes, I mean, me included, right, we go to our auntie and uncle and do not have the courage to speak to them about our faith. We may not have the courage, but surely we can have the time and surely we can pray for them, intercede for them. Well, in closing, just want to remind you that Abraham is not a perfect man, right? Just like us, we are not perfect. But he's a man of faith that ministered to the Lord in a personal and loving manner by hosting him by giving him the best. He was also a man that ministered to the people around him, his friends, his family, got them to minister to the Lord together and encourage them, strengthen them. And lastly, he ministered to the lost and interceded for them to be saved. Well, this Chinese New Year, as we prepare our house again, my question is, have we prepared our hearts for the Lord to come? Have we prepared our house, our spiritual house, that when people come to this house of ours, we have already prayed for them. We have interceded for those who do not know our Lord Jesus. Have we prepared ourselves that when the Lord speaks to us, we are receptive to hear and obey Him? Have we prepared to be faithful when the people around us, or even our own inner voice, actually tells us otherwise? Have we prepared ourselves to give graciously and generously and all to our Lord Jesus. So last, let us not go to the Lord. Let us, let us go to the Lord not in a hurried manner, right? You know, preparing this, preparing that, and let's serving the Lord. But let us now go to the Lord in a moment of quietness, stillness, coming before Him, standing still beside Him, sitting at His feet and waiting upon Him in prayer. So come, let's pray. Give you a moment as uh, maybe a family member come to your mind uh, who hasn't known the Lord Jesus. or Maybe yourself haven't known our Lord Jesus yet. Maybe it's a time to consider and to give your life to the Lord. Or if you have a family member who is sick, not feeling well, a time to pray for them. Whatever and whoever the Lord has dropped a name into your mind, Will you take these few moments to surrender them to the Lord, to commit them to the Lord, to intercede for them? Father, we commit all these names that we have prayed just now into your hands. And just surrender and say, Lord, you take over and you are in control of the people before you. Lord, you go at your timing, in your own way, to speak to them in such a clear manner.
that you are our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. So Lord, help us. Help us to prepare ourselves, to prepare our house, to prepare as we usher in Chinese New Year together in the next few weeks. The Lord, you'll be a generous host, not just to you or to our friends and family, but also to the lost. That we may may be a channel of blessing to them, just like what Abraham did. So Lord, help us, Lord. We commit this time, this message and your word to your loving hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.